So it's kind of a good news, bad news situation with, uh, with pastor being gone. So of course, the bad news is that you're not going to get uh, to hear good preaching um, this morning. That's kind of the bad news is that you won't be able to hear the good preaching of Neil Nolan. But the good news is I get to say whatever I want, right? And you know what I'm saying? He can just look on in horror when he watches the video in a few days um, and uh, you know, he can maybe start getting phone calls at about 12 o'clock today, you know what I'm saying, and text messages about, did you know Mike said this and did you know Mike said that? So, so um, you know, Danny gave you the correct description or what's going on about why they're not here. I had this really cool thought about like, and I even texted him and told him, I'm going to tell them terrible things about what you're doing. So like I decided the best rumor to spread is that they're actually, he and Jessica are getting matching tattoos of the North Wahala logo across their back. So that's actually what they're doing uh, this weekend, you know, so make sure, I even thought about posting on the north on the uh, Facebook page you know hey pastor we're looking for you know forward to pictures of your new tattoo and just see you know see what happens from there see how many phone calls or text messages um, he gets and so um, I appreciate you helping me with that so earlier this week on Monday I got a chance to uh, to go here um, a Chick-fil-A executive is actually an owner-operator in Georgia. I got a chance to hear him speak um, about how Chick-fil-A does business, right? And everybody loves some Christian chicken, the beloved bird, the Pentecostal protein, right? And we know that Chick-fil-A does it the right way. Um, it's the reason why we go back there. And they talked about like their seven points to their culture, to like their success, seven things that they try to focus on. And one of those things uh, is emotional connections, right? It's a big deal for their restaurant to make sure that when you go there, they are striving to make some type of an emotional connection with you as a customer, which is pretty cool to hear. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're not just saying, we just want your, your, your money. Like, they do want to make an emotional connection with you. And I think, honestly, that's one of the best parts about our church is that you have a pastor who tries to stay emotionally connected to the body, right? He is a relationally motivated person. And that's one of the things that makes this church so great. Because what happens is, is it just kind of permeates down into it. You know what I'm saying? And you just kind of feel the love. And I heard actually, it's funny, I heard uh, Pastor uh, Danny say this uh, probably about 18 months ago, and it, it just resonated with me. You know, we may have a 400 person church, but 400 turns into 2000 really, really fast, right? When it's your mother who's in the hospital, when it's your kid who's having surgery, when it's your brother who's going through a separation, right? It turns into 2000 people really, really fast. Um, he is an awesome pastor. And, 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 you know, he's got appointments at like 5.30 in the morning. And then he is doing hospital visits well after midnight some nights. In fact, this week, I think he was in the hospital, at the hospital twice until after midnight, right? He is always working hard, always working hard for you. So my exact words to him actually about today were, go, we don't want to see you there on Sunday. That was actually the exact words that I had for him. And so, and he was super concerned about the rumors about, or about people wondering why he's not here. And I said, I'll tell him you're getting tattoos. It's fun. So... <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, so let's, let's, let's pray one more time. I'm, I'm real nervous this morning. I don't know why. I feel like I'm extra nervous this morning about something. I'm not really sure what it is. Maybe it's just the, uh, the seriousness or the, um, the privilege that I get, you know, to come and preach. It's a very big deal to me. I don't take it lightly at all. Um, and I don't take lightly the fact that the pastor, you know, allows me to, to have, you know, the this, this stage, right? This is his flock. You are his flock. Like he is the under, under shepherd, of course, uh, from the shepherd. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to deliver the message, to preach the gospel, to speak to people, Lord. And I pray that you'll bless everyone. 
that has chosen to be here. They've chosen to come under the authority of the scriptures. Lord, we know that there are many other things that we could be doing on a cold Sunday morning, but Lord, I thank you that people have come here today. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to prepare for this message. I thank you for the scriptures and how much they say to us, Lord. And Lord, I pray that I say no more or less than what is needed to accomplish your mission. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So my son has this book um, that's one of his favorites, and it's called Winky Wonky Donkey, okay? And essentially, the book is about uh, a person who meets a donkey, and they meet this donkey, and it turns out the donkey only has three legs. And so the, the person speaking in the book says, I met a donkey, but it only had three legs, so it was a wonky donkey. And then in the next page, um, it turns out that the donkey only had one eye, so it was a winky wonky donkey. And then uh, on the next page, the donkey liked to listen to country music, so it was a honky tonky winky wonky donkey. And so, and it goes on and on and on for like five or six pages more after this. And before you know it, you've just got this tongue twister of a mouthful, right? And Ethan, our five-year-old, he loves this book. He thinks it's hilarious. But one of the interesting things that he likes to do is to like rewrite the story. And so what he does is he puts like daddy in place of the word donkey. And then he comes up with all of these like circumstances. So it turned into like daddy has like a bat on his shoulder. So he's a batty daddy. And then like daddy was in a bad mood. And so it turns into a batty batty daddy. And then like daddy ate too many donuts. So he's a fatty, matty, batty daddy, you know, and he just laughs and laughs and laughs. So like he takes this story and he, he loves to, to rewrite um, the story. And so this morning, I want to tell you the story of a man. And uh, this is in the New Testament. And the man actually doesn't have a name when we're not given his name. And I think that's actually really, really important. And the reason why he has no name much like the thief on the cross, much like the woman who reached out and touched the, harment, uh, or the, the uh, hem of Jesus' garment, is because their story is your story. Their story is my story, right? So I want to tell you the story about a man, and I want to talk about the fact that sometimes we like to rewrite the story, and I think sometimes we should rewrite the story. So the title of my message is Shred Your Story. And that's going to be my challenge to you is to shred your story. And so we're in the fifth chapter of John. And John is a book in the New Testament that was written by someone none other than John. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm um, not real original when they came up with the name of that. But in this part of the, of the, uh, of the the, the story or the journey, so to speak, Jesus has already been traveling around. He has already been doing miracles. He has already been healing people. He has already traveled to Jerusalem as an adult at least one time that, that we know of, right, that the scriptures tell us about. Um, he's actually already raised a girl from the dead. Uh, there was a ruler's daughter um, who had died, and Jesus went to the house, and he raised her from the dead. So he's already done lots of things in his ministry work, right? He's already done uh, several things. And he's even already had a conversation late one night with a man named Nicodemus. And from that conversation, we get one of the most famous passages in Scripture, John 3.16. That happens in this conversation with Nicodemus late one night. All of these things have already happened as we get to this John chapter 5. And he's actually going back to Jerusalem for at least the second or the third time. 
And the reason why it's important to know that he was going back to Jerusalem is because Jewish people had to make several pilgrimages to Jerusalem every year. There were at least three that they had to do, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of the Tabernacles. It was Jewish law. It was, it was what they had to do because Jerusalem, of course, was the hub of Jewish life right? Not everyone lived in Jerusalem, but it was the hub of Jewish life. It's, of course, where the temple was, and they went there on certain days of the year to accomplish certain things, the Day of Atonement, etc. And it's important to understand that because you have to understand that the city of Jerusalem grew in population whenever these feasts were going on, right? There were just more people around. Uh, some people, est- it's, it's, it was at least twice as many people. Some people estimate maybe as 10 times the number of people normally in Jerusalem were there during some of these feasts. That's how important it was. That's how big of a deal it was. And Jesus was a savage, like, Jesus, Jesus specifically reserved conversations and points to be made when everyone was in Jerusalem. There'd be a big difference between making a point or making a, doing something or performing some miracle on a certain time of the year when the population of Jerusalem was way down. And then there's a big difference between doing it when the population of Jerusalem was way up. And Jesus was a savage. He didn't care. Like, he was there to wreck the religious world, and he did it when a bunch of religious people around, were around. He just didn't care. Like... You care like how your hair looks when you go to Dollar General. Like we, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes we obsess over like the whatever. Like I probably spent way too much time and energy trying to figure out what I was going to wear today. Like I was like, oh, I matched my socks to my suspenders. Like that's like we care about some of the stupidest things. But Jesus, Jesus was a savage with these things, right? And so... In John chapter 5, he has come back to Jerusalem, and that's where we pick it up in John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And I'm going to stop right there. And I I just want to share with you something about these pools. I want you to kind of maybe better understand these pools. Um, There were several pools around the area. We hear about the pool um, of Siloam, and we hear about the pool at Bethesda, and there's several other ones that are mentioned in the New Testament. And the pools were of different shapes and sizes, but they, most of them were probably as big as from this table all the way to the back door, and maybe as wide as the center aisle, maybe a little bit wider. And they had five porches. And essentially, a porch, of course, is just like a platform for people to lay or sit or stand. So you can imagine there'd be a porch here, there'd be a porch here, a porch here, one at the back, and then sometimes the fifth porch was actually in the center, kind of above the water, and it would like kind of split it into two separate sections. Now, what's interesting is that history disputed the existence of the pool at Bethesda for thousands of years, well, f- until, the, actually, the, until the 19th century, an archaeological dig under a church in Jerusalem found what historians now agree and believe is the pool at Bethesda, okay? And the pools accomplished were, were, were for different things and for different reasons. There's a pool at Siloam, 
which essentially every year when people went to Jerusalem for Passover, for the Passover feast, before they went into Jerusalem, as they got into Jerusalem, the pool at Siloam was kind of on the outskirts of town, and they would enter into the pool as a ritual, uh, a ceremonial cleansing before they went into Jerusalem because they went to Jerusalem. So they would kind of go into the pool and then come up out of the pool and they had been cleansed. They had been, you know, uh, symbolically cleansed, so to speak, to prepare them to go into the temple. Right. And this, I think this was on the day of atonement, actually, as they were preparing to make the annual sacrifice for their sins. And that was the pool at Siloam. So the pool at Bethesda, um, was a little different purpose. Um, Sometimes pools were actually used for bathing. As you can imagine, you know, hygiene, running water, plumbing didn't exist the same way back then. So there'd be a lot of, uh, you know, communal baths where people would go and that's where they would um, get their, get clean. And so verse three is really interesting here. It says, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And essentially, if you could picture these, these porches, there'd be people laying there, lame people, right? The infirmed, people with an infirmity were laying there and they were waiting for the moving of the water. And essentially what it is, is there was a tradition, there was this understanding, there was this idea that the water would move at a certain time. And if you got into the water, you would be made whole. You would be healed of this disease. So here's the thing. I don't know if it's part of your story, but it could very well be that you've been sitting around and waiting for your circumstances to change? Have you been sitting around with everyone else waiting for your circumstances to change? Because that's exactly what it says here. In these lay a great multitude of people waiting for the moving of the water. And I'm wondering if maybe I could challenge you this morning to consider, have you been waiting for your circumstances to change? Are you sitting around with everyone else hoping and waiting for your circumstances to change. Like maybe you've spent too much time with those people. Well, maybe one day, maybe one day I'll win the lottery and everything will be fine. (laughs) You're laughing because it's true, right? Because you've heard that from people. Well, if I win the lottery, everything will be good, right? But here's the thing. You can't spend too much time with the people who are doing the same old thing every day and expecting different results. Everybody knows what that's the definition of, don't you? Insanity right? I mean, if you're doing the same thing and waiting on different results, you're kind of like the person at the traffic light who doesn't pull up far enough to hit the sensor. (laughs) Public service announcement, there's an actual sensor in the ground right in front of the white line, okay? And when the car pulls onto that sensor, it tells the traffic light to change green. If you don't pull up far enough, guess what will never happen? Your circumstances will never change. You will be staring at that intersection for hours, right? Got to move up. Just move up. Just move up. There's a, little, there's a little square in the ground. You can see it. You'll see it from now on, pretty much at every traffic light in the United States of America, right? But if you're just going to sit around and wait for your circumstances to change, I've got bad news. I've got bad news. Verse four, verse four. And this is where we find out the scriptures tell us a little bit about what's going on here. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. And this was the tradition. This was the expectations at the time. They believed, there was this belief that there would be an angel that would come down and that would stir the waters, and the first person to make it in the water would receive healing. 
And what's really fascinating to me about this is that it's actually historically disputed that this was actually a thing. In fact, there were several, you know, over the course of time, there's been lots of people who have translated, um, you know, scripture, right, from different languages. So, you know, written in Hebrew, then there was Greek, there was also some Aramaic, there was also some people who wrote some things in Latin and different things. And certain people, when they translated it, certain biblical historians and theologians said it wasn't actually true that that happened. It was that people believed that that would happen. And as you well know, there are natural healing springs all around the world, right? They have like a certain high level of like salt water in them, which is healing for wounds and stuff like that. So people, before they understood maybe some, you know, uh, medicine would think that if they just went into this body of water, there was something miraculous there and it would heal them, right? And so there are some historical disputes about whether this was actually happening, but here's what I know. You will sit around and wait for something if you believe that it, and you want for it to be true, and you will sit around and wait for it to happen and for your circumstances to change. In fact, you will believe in something even if you just want it to be true, like Chick-fil-A being open on Sundays. It's not going to happen. In fact, Monday night, he talked about that. True story. The owner-operator that, we, that we, we heard on Monday night he specifically said it's probably the number one question they get as an organization, as owner-operators, are you ever going to be open on Sundays? And the answer firmly from headquarters is no, no, it's just never going to happen. In fact, he told us an interesting story. So Truett Cathy is the guy that started Chick-fil-A, right? And his children and like in-laws are the ones who are running the company now. Their children and in-laws are being groomed to take over the company in the next few years, you know what I'm saying, as people age. So they call them Generation 2 and Generation 3. And he said Generation 2 is already grooming Generation 3 to understand we will never be open on Sundays, right? And so just understand, no matter how much you believe something, that you want something to be true, it may just not be the case, and you may just be laying around with a bunch of other people who are waiting on their circumstances to change. And when Jesus steps into this story, it is so, so, so powerful. And so verse 5, we get to kind of our, one of our characters in the story. Now, a certain man, and we don't know his name and we'll never learn his name, um, except on the other side of eternity, was there who had an infirmity 38 years. Now, you also have to understand and appreciate that 38 years was actually a pretty good, pretty good lifespan uh, for back then, right? That, that would be considered pretty well-aged. And he had this infirmity for 38 years, right? Verse, verse 6, verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been... Jesus knows you and he knows your circumstances, He knows you, and he knows your circumstances. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? This, 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 this is so powerful. There's so much here. When you're first asked about your circumstances, about how you're doing, what's your first response? How do you typically answer that question? What's that? I'm fine, right? Either you say I'm fine or your first thought goes to the things that really aren't going well in your life sometimes. Sometimes our brains just default to that mode. 
And look what happens in verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. Like, what's really interesting is that he, he essentially says, yeah, but. Like, God, Jesus says to him, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? I mean, do you want to, to, you know, to have this new life? And he says, yeah, but. Is that your life motto? Are you laying around waiting on your circumstances to change, and every time there's a question about your circumstances changing, your first response is, yeah, but... You'll be waiting a long time at that red light. That red light's never going to change. As long as your life motto is, yeah, but. See, because here's the thing. What he says is he goes on to say, well, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And he immediately starts to offer up and explain the excuses as to why. He immediately starts to talk about the hindrances and the barriers that are in his way. And what he does is he focuses on the tradition that was established. The tradition was, as the waters are stirred, everyone makes a push for the water, and the first one in gets healed. And he is so focused on tradition that he doesn't even realize that transformation is an arm's length away. That the very one who can deliver transformation, the very one who not long after this will go to the cross for his sins is just an arm's length away. He doesn't even realize that he's having a conversation with the agent of transformation. He's too focused on the tradition. He's too focused on doing it the same way. He's too focused on the same procedure. He's too focused on, well, this is the way I've always done it, so I guess I'm just going to keep doing it, and maybe one day it's going to get better, and maybe one day my circumstances are going to change, and maybe one day somebody's going to show up on my door and give me the thing that I've been asking for. And maybe one day that person is going to call me and they're going to apologize for that one thing. And maybe one day, maybe one day I'll finally get the, the whatever that I need and the whatever that I deserve and the whatever that I spe- expect. Sir, I, I have no, ma- yeah, but yeah, but sir, I, I, I have no one. I have no one. <clears throat> you know, you take your tax check and you pay off your debt. And by next year, you got your tax check and you're paying off your debt. And then by the next year, you have your tax check and you get paying off your, tech, your, your debt. Guess what? You're going to have to change those circumstances. You're going to have to figure out a new way to do it. Right? Maybe you're single, right? And you need to take, take the words of the great theologian into account. You've been looking for love in all the wrong places. Right? can't be lying around with all the people that are like you, wishing and hoping and praying, right? That red light's never going to change. And so verse 8, verse 8, this is so powerful what Jesus says. Jesus says to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. He says, get up. Right? If he were sitting behind you at the traffic light, he would say, move up. Right? He's, this is, 
Listen, this is what I want you to picture. This guy has been laying in the same spot. Let's just say he's been laying in the same spot for 38 years, right? He, he, he became infirmed. He heard about the healing pool. And one day, somebody, you know, by the, you know, somebody was nice enough to come and bring him and lay him by the pool. And then he just lays by the pool every day. And he's waiting and waiting on somebody and waiting on someone and waiting on somebody who's been doing it for 38 years. And you know what? Every time someone comes by, they say, well, how long you been here? Oh, I've been here for 30 years. And for 30 years, every time the water is stirred, nobody will come and put me in the water and somebody beats me to it. And so I miss out on my healing and I miss out on mine and I don't ever get mine. And the next year somebody comes by and they say, well, how long you been? Everything, you know, what do you need? Do you need anything? Yeah. Somebody put me in the water when it stirs, but nobody ever will. Listen. I bet you there's people in here, you've been telling the same story for years. You've been sitting in the same spots, telling the same story about the same excuses, placing the same blame on the same people about your circumstances, right? And Jesus is telling you to get up, get out of that spot. You have been living in that spot for years, and it's time to get out of that spot. It's time to get rid of those excuses, right? And what God is saying, he says, I've got a new story for you. I've got a new story for you to write. You've been telling the same story, the same script. You've gone over it in your head a hundred times. You have told that story in the mirror. You've told that story when you're on the treadmill. You have told that story to the clerk at Aldi if they'll listen, right? Well, yeah, you know, I never this. My three years ago, my sister, she, man, she got the house from my parents when they died. And so, I, you know, I've just been struggling ever since. And the Aldi person's like, you want bananas or not? You know what I mean? And you've been telling the same story. And what God, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, get up. We need to get rid. We need to, we need to tear up. We need to shred that story. We need to, we need to write a new story. And that's what I'm calling you to do this morning is to consider like, can you, and I I brought a shredder on stage just to drive my point home. All right. (laughs) Right. Maybe today, maybe today you can start to shred your story. Get rid of it. A couple days ago, uh, earlier this week, somebody said something to me, and it hurt. I mean, it was a punch to the gut. And I truly, honestly lost sleep over it. Have you ever had pretend conversations with someone? You know what I'm talking about? You ever had a conversation with somebody? They're not, they're not even there. They're not, they're not even aware that the conversation is happening. Pretend conversations, right? And so and you, you, what you do is you, you review like a previous conversation or what they said to you. And what do you do? You go through all the things. Okay, well, if, I, well, if I'd have said this, then they would have said that. And then I would have said this back. Yeah, that'd have been good. Right? And then you think, okay, well, I, maybe if I would have responded, ooh, if I said this, that would have been a good one. And then, well, they would have said that, so that would have been a good direction to go because they would have won that conversation, right? And you play these out in your head and you have these fake conversations, right? And, and here's the other unfortunate thing. Typically, when we're telling our story like that, when we're going over that script over and over and over again, it's not always 100% accurate, is it? I mean, can we be honest, really, right? When you're telling your version of the story, typically it's not, it's not, it's not the whole truth. That's right. You're the winner, and every, every time you tell the story, you're the winner. You're the one who did the right thing. And that's why I've got to tell you. You've got to shred your story. All right? You've got to get up. 
You got to get up off of that platform, quit laying around with the people who are making excuses and always putting the blame on somebody else and shred your story and start writing the new story. Start walking in the new story, right? Go from winky wonky donkey to fatty batty daddy, right? Like start rewriting your story. Start walking and living in the new story. See, and this is where, it, see, it keeps going. It keeps going though. Um, what's also fascinating is the fact that what Jesus did not say I'm always fascinated by what the Bible doesn't say. And what the Bible doesn't say is that Jesus didn't say, oh my goodness, is that really what happened? I am so sorry. Please tell me more. Oh my goodness, that was a terrible situation that they did that to you, right? Jesus doesn't do that. Because frankly, we ain't got time for that. Let me tell you a little secret. Jesus is not nearly as interested in your past as he is in your future. I want that to sink in. I'm not having a brain fart. I'm wanting that to sink in. He is not nearly as interested in your past as he is in your future. Because we've got some jacked up pasts, don't we? And what's really, really interesting is, you know who's more concerned with your past? The churchy people, the religious people, right? And if you were being honest, if I asked you to raise your hand, if I asked you, have you ever not come to the altar for fear of the eyes in the pews behind you? There'd be a lot of hands that would go up, including mine. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be the person that keeps other people from coming to the altar? Do you want to be lumped into the group of religious people that has those eyes that keeps other people from coming to the altar? I don't want to be part of that group. No, thanks. I don't want that on me. He's not as interested in your past as he is in your future, right? And Jesus didn't sit down and say, tell me all the details and tell me who wronged you and tell me why this happened and what's the story on your infirmity and tell me all these other things. He says, get up. It's time to rewrite the story. And so verse, verse nine, let's go to verse nine. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. We only have to get two words into that verse to know the power of Jesus. We only have to get to the second word in that verse to start to understand the power of Jesus. Um, one of the interesting things that happened is uh, very early on in Jesus' ministry, he meets Andrew. And Andrew is listed in the scriptures as Simon Peter's brother. Right? And Andrew runs and he finds Simon Peter and he brings him to Jesus. And he, he says, hey, he says, he, Andrew says to his brother, hey, you got to come and meet this guy that I met this morning. I don't know who he is. I don't know what his story is, but there's something different about him. And he brings him to Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is gives him a new name. Immediately, the change starts to happen. He said, ah, you're going to be called Cephas now, the stone. He immediately starts the change, which is so important 
Think about that. Think about the, the, the Peter and the Cephas change. Um, because immediately the man was made well. In fact, um, a, a lot of scripture, the translated, the word actually used there is the man was made whole. Okay, what was the man looking for? He was looking for healing. He was looking for healing from his infirmity, right? But Jesus, what he does, he changes your entire being, right? We get so focused on our infirmity, but Jesus is focused on our identity. And that is a huge difference, right? He thinks to himself, because when Jesus says, do you want to be made whole? He doesn't even think about the rest of his life that needs to be changed. He is too focused on that. That infirmity has become his identity, right? And your circumstances, has, it's been the same thing. You have made that into your story. You have made that into your life script. You have made that into the, the thing that you say and the, and, the, and the mindset that you have. And Jesus is ready to change your identity and give you that new name. There's still more. Can I keep going? Can I keep going? There's still more. Verse 10. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured... <laughs> Man, ain't that just how it goes? You can't get one step away from your old story and the hater is going to show up. Taylor Swift was right. <laughs> but seriously, right? You cannot get one step away from this altar after a Sunday morning service and there's going to be a naysayer somewhere. There's, there's going to be a hater somewhere who's got something, well, you know, you ain't doing that, right? Oh, well, you got saved? Well, you're still listening to the wrong music. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we, can we please give somebody an hour to understand this new identity that they've just walked into? Can we please give the Holy Spirit and Jesus time to do what they do? But there is always somebody ready to show up on the scene. And here's what happens. <laughs> What's going on here is essentially the man has gotten up. And Jesus actually said, of course, rise, take up thy bed and walk, right? That's what Jesus told him to do. I don't know about you, but if, I've been, if I couldn't walk for 38 years and a dude comes up and says, stand up, take your bed and walk, I'm doing whatever he says. Like, I'm going to go with whatever he says. So he picks up his bed and he starts to walk. And there, I, I, we don't know how far he gets, but it says the Jews and the Jews are the religious people of the time, Right? They say to him, um, it's the Sabbath and um, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed like that. Okay, here's what's really fascinating, by the way. Here's what's really fascinating, by the way. That wasn't even a law from God. That was actually man-made law. That was actually a rabbi had come along and taken, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and they had actually created a list of 39 things that you weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath, like specific, specifically like shearing sheep and you know, different things like that. And if you've studied any of the New Testament, you know that Jesus was always pushing back on that. He's like, well, you know, if your cart and your donkey are in the ditch, aren't you going to get them out? Are you just going to let him, let him lay there to, to rot and die until, until after the Sabbath is over? Right? Jesus was always pushing back on it. And what's so funny to me is that the, what they're trying to say that he did wrong wasn't even God's law. It was a man-made law that, like I said, that some rabbi had come up with. And I was like, well, it's not lawful for you, for you to, uh, to carry your, your bed. Here's what's really fascinating. What I've learned in 12 years of being a police officer. I've talked to a lot of people. I've had the fortunate um, and unfortunate, I guess you could say, um, occasion to speak to people in their lowest times and speak to people who are just 
caught up, trapped um, in the criminal life, for, for lack of a better way to put it, right? Just a vicious cycle in and out of jail, in and out of jail, in and out of jail. And I'll meet someone who's trying to break the cycle. I will meet someone who says, like, this is the last time that I, I, I cannot go to jail anymore. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. And do you know what the other people that are living the criminal life often say about that person? They say, please do. I hope you do. I have had many conversations where this person is trying to get out of the criminal life and this other person in the criminal life is saying, please do. Do you know who discourages the person who's trying to get out of the criminal life? You already know, right? The people who aren't in the criminal, well, you know, once a thief, always a thief. We all know them as keyboard warriors, right? Oops. We all know them as keyboard warriors. You put a story on YFF and somebody's going to grab their keyboard and they got plenty of things to say. And I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact, really, though, that it's the people who are in the criminal life who are trying to encourage this guy. Yeah, get out. It's terrible. It's horrible. I've been in, in and out of prison three, four, five times. I miss my kid's first birthday, sixth birthday, 10th birthday. I miss my kid's 18th birthday, whatever, right? And someone says, I'm done with the life. And I have seen their co-defendants, right? Their buddies that they used to run around with, and they're, they're the ones that they would get high with. They would say, please get out of the life. Please get out of the life. I hope you do. I'm rooting for you, buddy. And then the, the moment they walk out of the jail door, guess who's there? The neighbor. Oh, well. And God forbid there's somebody at our church front door telling them, I don't know if you belong here. I saw you on YFF. Didn't I see you in the Seneca Journal? If you want to be that person, raise your hand. If you want to be that person in our church, raise your hand. Because every Wednesday and every Sunday, somebody comes here to try to rewrite their story. Somebody comes here to try to shred their story. And you know what bothered Jesus so much? Right? The religious people at the door saying, isn't it unlawful? Isn't it unlawful for you to, isn't it unlawful? In fact, we know that Jesus bothered him so much, don't we? By a very specific story. Ah, turning over the tables. Turning over the tables. And so verse, uh, let's see. So he answered them. So essentially verse 11, 12, and 13, um, the man says, the, the people are saying, you know, all right, didn't you know it's unlawful to do this on the Sabbath? Who told you to do this? Who made you well? What's the story? What's going on here? And they're, they're kind of doing this third degree interrogation on him, right? And he, his answer is great. He's like, I, I don't really know. I, I, I'm not really sure what the story is. All I know is that I've been laying there for 38 years and none of y'all have helped me. And this guy walks up and he says, get up and start walking and carry your bed with you. So I did it. Like, I don't know about you, but there was this guy named Jesus. And you know what he did? He predicted his own death and his resurrection. And you know what he did? He pulled it off. And then you know what he did? He had breakfast with a bunch of his friends on a beach the next morning. So I don't know about you, but I'm gonna go with whatever he says. I hadn't figured it all out. I'm not sure about everything. I don't know if tattoos are wrong. I don't know whatever's wrong, whatever. You know, I'm still studying the scriptures, trying to figure out my own thing and all that. But guess what? I'm going to go with whatever he says. I'm going to let him rewrite my story. I'm going to walk in the story that he has for me. I'm going to shred my old story, and I'm going to walk in the new story. And this, this is the best part to me. Verse 14. This, I think, is the best part to me. I don't know. Maybe the rest, the rest of it's so good, but this is, this is so good. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. 
sin no more. Let me ask you this. Which came first? Sinning no more or being made whole? The new identity comes before the new lifestyle. Somewhere along the way, we switched those around. Somewhere along the way, we started preaching at people, when you get your new lifestyle, you'll get your new identity. And out of Jesus' own mouth right there, it's the other way around. You get your new identity, and that new lifestyle is going to follow. But unfortunately, what we've done is we've stood at the church doors, and we've said, well, you know, it's unlawful for that. So when you get it right, we'll see you back next time. You know, and maybe it hasn't been said directly and maybe it hasn't been said deliberately or maybe it hasn't been whatever, but somewhere along the line, we've thought that that's the case. And I'm, I'm telling you, it starts with shredding your story, right? Getting up and walking in that new story and saying, I don't know, his name is Jesus and I'm good with whatever he says. And here's the deal, here's the deal. If you're sitting here and you know Jesus, you still may have a story that you've got to shred, right? This is the part of the service where you're like, ah, I know Jesus, so we're just going to kind of wait for somebody else, you know, wait for that person, that other person that he's talking to. He ain't talking to me. Who's he talking to? I don't know. Is it you? Is it me? Is it you? Who's coming? But there actually may be a part of your story that you need to shred, Can we stand together? <clears throat> I'm challenging you to consider there's a part of your story that you need to shred, that you need to get rid of, that you need to get up and start walking in this new story, right? And I'm going to ask you to come forward and spend a few, time, a few moments talking to God. I'm not going to hand you a microphone and ask you to tell us your story or anything like that. I'm going to ask you to come forward and spend a few minutes having a conversation with God asking him to give you like the power and the bravery and the courage and the strength to shred that story. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Can you pray for that right now? Can you pray about that right now? Can you pray if there's a story that needs to be shredded that it'll happen today? Can you pray for that? Can you pray for yourself? Can you pray for your neighbor saying, hey, God, if there's a story that needs to be shredded, I want it to happen today. We know that that's why we're here. We know that that's why the praise and worship time happened. We know that that's why everybody's worked hard. We know that's why our media team is doing what they do. We know that's why our greeting team has done what they do. We know that's why a nursery that's going on right now so that way parents can be in here. We know that's why there's a children's church going on right now so that way the parents can be in here so that way you too can shred your story and i'm going to give you the little count of three countdown thing i think that's pretty cool and i think that's pretty effective just to get you to come out of your seat and just come have a conversation with god i'll pray with you if i want our team will come and pray with you if you want or you can just have a one-on-one -on -one moment with god but this this is a good opportunity one right Pray, pray for your neighbor that if they need to shred a story, that they'll be moved by the Holy Spirit, right? Right? As the waters are moved, as the waters are stirred, as the waters are troubled, that they'll move too, right? You may have to come forward and you may have to just have a moment with God and talk about your debt or talk about your past or talk about this relationship you had or talk about this thing that you did or talk about this thing that you said or talk about this apology that you've been waiting on three. Can we move? Can we move? Can we move? I know there's stories that need to be shredded. Can you come and talk to God about that thing? There's 
There's people already moving. There's people already moving and these altars are going to get full and you need to come and, and, and get some. Get some while the waters are being stirred, right? Don't be waiting on the apology anymore. Don't be waiting on the phone call anymore. Don't be waiting on the winning lottery ticket anymore, right? It's time to shred that story and it's time to move on. It's time to get up and start walking. Can I get some help praying? Can I get some help praying? Can I get some of our staff and our team to pray? Can we, can we, can, can we pray with these people? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are awesome and you are amazing. And it's your scriptures. It's the death on the cross. It's the presence of the Holy Ghost that provides this atmosphere, that these waters can be stirred. And Lord, maybe it didn't actually happen that there was physical healing back then, but we know that there can be healing here today. We know that these waters are stirred and we know that healing can happen today, Lord, and there are stories that need to be shredded, right? We know, Lord, that there are people who have been sitting, laying, and waiting on circumstances to change. We know there are marriages in the same spot and they need to shred part of their story so they can move on. We know there are single people who are in the same spot and they want, to, they want a new story, Lord, so we pray that they will shred their story today. So in the, talking to the people that we're, I was praying with, something interesting, um, that we talked about the, having patience in the process, and that can be really, really tough, can it not? Because if I asked you know, any impatient people to raise their hand, it would be as many hands as people there are in the house, Right? right? Being patient with the process can be very, very tough. But I want to tell you a really fascinating story as we close. So um, there's a woman who's a good friend of mine, um, and her dad invented a, a device to inoculate smallpox. It's actually a, a needleless device to inoculate smallpox, and it actually uses like air to like essentially inject um, the vaccine uh, into the person's body. And he traveled the world inoculating hundreds of thousands of kids from smallpox. In fact, we could probably trace back the fact that smallpox, you know, is, has a little effect on our world as it does because of his efforts. And he traveled the world, um, like I said, inoculating so many children from smallpox. Like he just was in the process and he was doing it like just one after another, after another, after another. In fact, he was nominated for the Nobel prize, which he ended up losing to Nelson Mandela. So like, uh, but a fascinating part of the story is, um, so eventually he died and guess what he died of? You know why he died of smallpox is because he gave himself the vaccine over and over and over and over again to show the children that it didn't hurt. And eventually what he had done as he had given himself, because as you well know, a vaccine, essentially, you know what I'm saying, you're giving yourself some of it in order to get your body to build up the antibodies for it. And eventually he died of smallpox because he had given it to himself over and over and over again. I mean, listen, there, there is a process. There is a process, and it is going to be a tough battle. It is going to be a tough fight, but I promise you, if you would just stop focusing on the infirmity and start focusing on your new identity, your life is going to be changed. Heavenly Father, what a powerful day that you've given us. Lord, what a great message you've given us from the scriptures, Lord, and I thank you for the opportunity just to, to deliver this message, Lord, to be the vessel. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us and bring us back again tonight. 
for another opportunity to hear from you, another opportunity to have a conversation with you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen.